0: Welcome back to Everything Just Changed. I'm Bryce Hales, and I'm here with my friend Brad Edwards, and we are seeking to help you navigate faithfulness to Jesus in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. Today we have another great conversation to bring you this time with Australian Pastor Mark Sayers. Mark is the pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia, and the author of several books, including most recently, Reappearing Church, The Hope for Renewal, and the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Mark also hosts a couple of podcasts, the Rebuilders podcast, as well as this cultural moment. And it was really listening and talking together about this cultural moment that led Brad and I to start our own podcast a few months ago. As Brad and I explore themes of the kingship of Jesus and living in the light of his kingdom, we are constantly coming back to this thing that we heard Mark say, that secularism is the desire for the kingdom without the king. And so today we're really excited to be talking with Mark himself. Mark Sayers is one of the keenest observers of culture that I've ever encountered. He has an incredible ability to see what's going on and highlight the patterns and trends in a way that helps make sense of our cultural moment. And he does that as a Christian and as a pastor, helping us embrace the kingdom opportunities that are available to us. So today we're bringing you part one of our conversation with Mark, where we get his insight and perspective on what's going on in 2020 and how the COVID pandemic has disrupted so much of the Western world. Be sure to hit subscribe right now if you haven't already, because this is really just uh, the first half of this conversation and the setup for part two, which we will bring you later this week, where we will get into some of the kingdom opportunities that this disruption is opening. Up for the church. Mark Sayers, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Mark, I first came across your work through the This Cultural Moment podcast. I have no idea what the time period was. I know it was pre COVID, and so it's kind of a blur. But Brad and I, I think, if we're honest, would say that we started this uh, podcast kind of hopefully trying to further the conversation, but in response to so much of what we heard you talking about in terms of the impact of secularism. And uh, the kingdom, this desire for the kingdom without the king, and so it's all I have to say it's really an honor to to sit down and talk with you today. Thanks so much for joining us. I know it's uh, earlier you're you're ahead of us in Australia. Could you maybe just give us like a a, a sense of what it is that you guys are dealing with uh, as the pandemic has played out in different ways across the the world? I think that you are in a much deeper lockdown in Melbourne, Australia than probably anywhere in the West, uh, or sorry, in, anywhere in the, in the U S is dealing with right now. Maybe just give us a sense of what you guys are dealing with.
1: Yeah. So we, um, we sort of went to lockdown quite quickly. Um, we have a lot of connection, probably more to Asia and that's been one of the really fascinating things. Um, we also are in a very big, um, area where there's lots of travel between China and, and Melbourne. So this part of town and, um, So our government reacted in a very different way. So I think Australia and New Zealand almost took this, like shut the borders where islands, we can sort of almost get it down to negligible. Mm. Um, So that went well. We were in in some sort of lock, I've pretty much been in some kind of lockdown since March. We opened up a little bit, but even then, like opening up in, it was just like May. I got to go to my brother's house, who's eight minutes away. You know, we had lunch. That was, that was the extent. And then, wow. then we had cases go back up. So, but even it, again, too, this is such a fascinating revealer of different world views that the cases went up. We got the, the terrible moment is when we got to seven hundred daily cases, um, which is small. You know, Europe is. You know, there's countries in Europe who are opening up with a couple thousand. You know, and mm. um, so we then went on an extreme. Sort of uh, lockdown in in Melbourne. You couldn't leave Melbourne. I can't travel more than three miles um, to go into record. I can only go to the church building to record a sermon or something for the service, and I need papers for that. Um, you can leave wow. the house for one one hour. For a lot of it's been one hour of exercise a day. Now it's two hours, um, and uh, there was a curfew from eight till five a.m. for a large period. Of that they've just lifted that, so we're down to now. Yesterday I think we had eleven cases. I think Sydney had twelve. Um, but yeah, it's a completely different different reality. So and I'm realising we're not gonna I don't think we'll meet um to worship again for some time. Like I'm I'm thinking 2022 will be wow. unhindered. So the Australian government wow. has said um, it's also interesting listening to what the Australian government's saying versus what I'm hearing from Europe and America. And I think our Australian government's been much more accurate. And so I'm listening to New Zealand or Australian news to get a more accurate thing. And, um, you know, so we're not allowed to leave the country. Um, Australians are prohibited from traveling unless you've got a really special reason. And, um, effectively, Mm. I think their strategy is we're going to just lock off from the rest of the world for 2021 until we have a vaccine distributed for the whole population, which they're going to distribute freely. So it's been very different. (laughs) Yeah. And, and
0: Australian's, generally, I mean, in America, I just don't think that would work. I mean, people are, would just go outside and, you know, eventually they're going to start to rebel. Australians are not responding that way, it looks like.
1: No. I mean, the fascinating thing is I think the political, just different things to the U.S. So we have a conservative um, prime minister that's so our federal, you know, like yeah. the president, and he's he's actually an evangelical Christian, which is interesting, huh. and um, we have a more left-wing um, like equivalent of state government, we call them premier. Um, yeah. But, you know, they've refused to criticize each other. Um, very much it's been pulled together. It's been a little bit of brouhaha in the last... That's, month, that's exactly days. what the
0: federal and state leaders have done in the u.s i think
1: (laughs) Oh, it's
2: so depressing how how refreshing and healthy that sounds yeah
1: yes well and and that's where it it was really weird because i sort of was like at the beginning of the pandemic i was talking to my friends from around the world and i was like oh we're in this together and then it just felt like australia was just going and new zealand were going this different um but friends in new zealand i mean they're just their their strategy um and i think melbourne's almost trying to now pull off their strategy was you know they're almost back to normal and. There's talk that there could be a travel bubble between Australia and New Zealand and maybe I think Japan and Singapore. So we could reopen as what they're calling it the green zone, um, mm-hmm. to sort of move back. So yeah, it's been fascinating. So, uh, New Zealand's
0: almost back to normal in terms of not having hardly any cases in the country, but yeah. but not lifting travel bans from other countries, I'm assuming. Yes.
1: So I think I think that back to normal as in I, I think they're now eradicated. So I think they've hit what is it, three weeks without a case. And I think that um, they, you know, like talking to people there, you know, you can go out and you can do things. They did have a little lockdown for a while when they had the second outbreak. But um, I think that's the strategy we're trying to do. Get back to pretty much normal, but you just have to cut off from the rest of the world.
2: Wow. I, I'm so curious. I've heard you talk about this a little bit, but uh, in Australia, you have a unique intersection of a Western individualized kind of guilt driven culture and uh, yet still Eastern Asian uh, shame driven culture. That's much more communalistic. Like how is, is, is what you're describing? Is that part of the, the kind of cultural differences there is just, you just have both of these going
1: on at the same time. Well, I think it's also like, it, it's really interesting in the sense of it's been such a fascinating thing to understand my, own, I find it almost easier to execute American culture because there's so many more resources than in a sense, my own culture. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was reading there was one book about, I think it's called The Ten Cities of the British Empire, written by a British guy, and he talked about Melbourne, so it's an outside of view and just really interesting. And he, he sort of talked about almost Australia, like Australia and America, almost at the same time, Australia starts as a dystopia, as a penal colony. America starts mm. as a utopia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this really different sort of experience of how we experience, I think, that Western tradition. So ours is more focused, I think, on safety, particularly in my city Mm -hmm. and my state, where America's more on freedom. So our thing was, and and we have a higher expectation of the government. So ours would be more like the individualism manifesting in Melbourne would be, yeah, I want to go and get a coffee. I want to, you know, get back to going to the football and seeing my mates and living my best life. So I want the government to make me safe. So we can get mm. back to that. And why is the government mm. even so I mean the classic thing I saw in the news, there was this young woman like who was a disability advocate and she was like, Why did the government not think when they did the lockdown about people with autism and masks? And so it's this really weird, like, the government should be doing all of that. Um, but it's not like socialist. It's Because it's, Americans would hear that, go, oh, it's a socialist government, control anything. Mm. It's more the government as the facilitator of our individual freedom. But there's a much wow. lower expectation of them. So, like, Melbourne, you know, oh. continually was voted the world's most liberal city. Um, so we need you to keep safeguarding and pulling off what you've pulled off in Australia, which is this really... So our leaders are much more sort of boring nerdy bureaucrats who we don't expect them to be amazing leaders. We don't expect them to be Moses. Just it's sort of like, don't mm. mess it up. That's our, that's our expectation.
2: I mean, that sounds like a really high standard for us right now too. So that, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, but uh, you mentioned, you mentioned freedom and, and Bryce and I have been talking about this so much, both in the podcast um, offline, trying to wrestle with this. And in, in this cultural moment, you made this amazing analogy uh, around these buckets of meaning, community and freedom and and how all of those are very necessary and in the west the the freedom bucket is is beyond overflowing like we have more options than we ever have any kind of a hope to to actually take advantage of we have more individual civil rights and liberties than much of the rest of the world and so but on this podcast, and and also in the article that I wrote on uh, for for your orthodoxy, by the way, it made my week that you uh, engaged and commented on that. So thank you very much. I was so great. It's a good article. Um, uh Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We we've been we've been really hyper focusing on this freedom that has resulted in a kind of spiritualized individualism that leads to not secularism and. Uh, evangelicalism as like this this uh, one is better than the other, but in many ways they're kind of the fruit of two sides of the same coin that is individualism in a culture. One secularism, as you have defined and and, and uh, set out as a paradigm, is you know the kingdom without the king, and then American evangelicalism, at least and especially white American evangelicalism, is the pursuit of this king without the kingdom. And I feel like one we we're seeing this all over in the pandemic coming to to roost, the chickens coming to roost. But it's been really confusing in the midst of this. And I would love for you to to comment on this, especially as one of those outside perspectives, because the pandemic has, it feels like it has oddly both curtailed and amplified individualism in ways that have been a little bit unexpected um, in, in different flavors. So can you, can you talk about that a little bit and just like, what are you seeing? How are you navigating this pastorally, in your own country, in your own context, but also like what what are the things that we should be able to see more clearly mm. than we are able to, because we're in the in the thick of it?
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I, essentially my argument, um, which I made in Reaping Church, I think in this cultural moment, is that there's these buckets and to have a healthy life, you need a bucket of freedom. People in North Korea need more freedom. Um, <laughs> if you don't have freedom where everyone makes every decision for you, that's not a flourishing life. Um, we also need community where we're created as social beings and we need to be loved and known and connected relationally to people. Um, you know, even in the most individualistic cultures, there's still, you know, a, 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 a counsellor will say, yeah, you, know, you need to build up some intimate right. relationships with others. And then the last mm-hmm. one is meaning and meaning being part of a bigger story um, that, that, we, you know, we need. And I think like the great political project really of the West um, in many ways was um, you know, begun as people had community they had meaning, but they actually had a lack of freedom. Um, and if you look Mm -hmm. at, you know, coming out of the middle ages into, you know, feudalism in the beginning of the enlightenment, a lot of it was, how do we pursue freedom, freedom to worship, freedom to self-expression, you know, all these things. And, you know, I'm going to call that liberalism, which I know in America Mm -hmm. can, mean left-wing, but I'm more talking as the big political project that both mm-hmm. right and left-wing have, have approached, mm-hmm. that traditionally both Democrats and Republicans have approached. And totally. I, I feel like what's happened is, particularly in the US, um, is that the, the, the freedom bucket is like trying to be expanded and more and more water is just poured into the freedom bucket Mm. and if you're pouring i think you know like to push the analogy if there's a limited amount of water there's only so much you can as a human being accomplish in your Mm. hours and days and with your energy we're just the answer to everything is more freedom more freedom more freedom and I think what we began to find was that actually community was dropping. You know, we're seeing across the Western world, but not just the Western world, we're also seeing this in the developed world in places like Seoul and, and Tokyo and um, that, that increasingly the meaning, uh, sorry, the community bucket is empty and that's causing mm. pain for people. Mm. Um, but the meaning bucket, I think, was was emptying. And I think a lot of the story really that we, I think we began to see, I think it, it came onto our real, I guess, horizon was, you know, in 2016, you know, we had Brexit, um, where you had the election of Donald Trump, but also a whole bunch of electoral results across the world. I remember just before then, I remember seeing, I was actually in the States, and I opened up the New York Times, and I was reading through it. And, you know, there was an article about Scottish independence, all these people down the street with a flag. There was an article, I think, about, you know, Catalonian independence, they've got the Catalan flag. Um, There was an article about um, the LGBT movement with the rainbow flag um there was an article about ukraine and they had the nova russia flag and i was like wow it's just a world of flags and there was a point Mm -hmm. where almost we thought that that was all going to disappear because the 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 vision really particularly as almost the final stage of that quest for freedom was you know when the communism fell that we were just going to have this world and we could just move around i could move to paris i could use my uber app there and move to london and an incredible freedom and i think that we began to see the limits of freedom and that more freedom doesn't actually give you more meaning. And I think the crisis of that is being played out. And so people started looking for things which would give them meaning. And because there's this overarching sense of, of a secular sort of belief in the culture, where in a sense, open discussion in Western cultures of religion is the less encouraged. It's different in different Western cultures, but there is an overarching thing where still, whether you're in you know Denmark United States, Canada, New Zealand, it's still, you know, if someone got up and said, you know, this is a Christian country, there's suspicion in that from some people. Um, but what happened was I think people began to look for that, that really, you know, I, I interpret the meaning bucket as the God-shaped hole. You know, it's Augustine's mm, yeah. hearts are restless till they find home in him. So, they're looking for other things, you know, and they might not look traditionally what we'd understand is someone who's got a Krishna idol in, their, in the corner of their house is go, I get that. That's like, that's a God, you're worshipping that God. But I think we're trying to fill. So I think what began to happen really in the last sort of five, six years, and it's happened very fast, uh, and I think particularly in the United States, it's happened at hyper speed. Um yeah, man. is and, and I'm shocked. I mean, just a, a side note, as someone who's regularly come to the US for over a decade, like a couple times a year, like about a month of my year there, backwards and forwards, I am shocked, shocked at the radical change I saw. Just an example, like um, the first time I went to Denmark, um, I remember like, oh, I'm going to Scandinavia. This is the super post-Christian secularists, you know, and you get there and, oh, wow, this is the future and we'll they have gay marriage uh-huh. here and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I went to Denmark after being in the US uh, last travel. I went there last year and I've been there a few times. Denmark seems utterly conservative compared to America now. And wow. And what I mean is I'm not saying that all of their laws, you know, they, their abortion laws and marriage laws and all that would still be, you know, liberal, but the tone is so conservative. There's not mm-hmm. a political radicalism on both sides. Now they have the folk party or whatever it's called and they've got part of the populist push that's happening across Europe. But actually, weirdly, I think Australia, you know, it People used to say to me when I go to the U.S., oh, are we going to become like Europe in 10 years? Oh, you guys are 20 years ahead of us in post-Christianity. And I'm like, I used to go, oh, yeah, maybe. So that's probably why people listen to me <laughs> for the last 10 years. It's like <laughs> in America because Mark's from the future. But I yeah. actually go, what is happening now in Europe, in Australia, totally different to what's happening in the U.S. Mm. So I think because America's so much more invested in that freedom bucket, then something like these electoral results, the pandemic, and – I wonder whether if you look at all of our political models, particularly the American political model built built around individual freedom, that did not have an understanding that we know now of the butterfly effect of the connectivity of humans that actually my wanting to go outside could kill thousands of people through a super spreader event. So I wonder whether actually something new is is. It's like a, it's like a a birth is happening in America of something new.
2: Yeah. So it's interesting the way that, gosh, you're, you're charting this in a way that is um, from it. Yeah. Just it's, it's connecting a few dots for me. It's almost like what you're describing is there was at some point, and it really feels like this is the case in the last five to 10, maybe even five to eight years where there's this tipping point that as freedom, uh, on different ends of the spectrum continue to double down more and more on freedom, it almost morphs into power. And it's less about your freedom and more about actually constraining other people's freedoms in a way that is, is trying to like anticipate a threat. And there's a lot of fear driving that. And, and is that what you're talking about with that connectivity piece? Like that's, that's part of the thing that we didn't really anticipate kind of lighting the fire.
1: Yeah. So I mean, you need like also America worked on almost like there was an operating system. To think about mm-hmm. it. So the operating system was sort of um liberalism, again in its broader sense. There was a civil religion, you know, and it got to a high point, particularly after World War II. There was this sort of civil religion, you had grafting on of Catholicism, which wasn't always there. You had Judaism. And we talk, you know, people get to talk about the Judeo Christian value. So it was a, a, a sort of liberalism based around particularly human freedom plus a Judeo Christian ish civil religion, which still had nationalistic elements. Sure. I think what what's happening now is that that's collapsing. And there's an absence to an operating system and the internet, um, the complexity of the country, multiculturalism, um, but not just ethnic or, you know, national multiculturalism, people coming from other countries, almost a multiculturalism in approaches. And I think what shocks me to the U S is I can meet, I will be overseas, uh, like say in the U S um, and I will meet an Australian or a New Zealander who may literally be from the South of New Zealand. Um, in a very different topography, small town, or I can meet an Australian who's literally from the jungles that are, you know, four hours' flights away from here in a very different thing. I have a commonality mm. with them that I can, and it's weird, even New Zealanders, I'll talk, it's weird. I was New Zealanders, we'll still talk to each other. There's a commonality we have. Mm. Um, in America, I less and less see that. So, like, I, you know, I remember being on a plane in San Francisco and I was there and I was talking to a friend, Pastor, and he's like, oh yeah, now a big issue here is, you know, this guy's now walking around nude. In San Francisco like okay you know and okay and you know my kids are there and they're just pushing they want to walk around nude that's what they're pushing at the moment I'm like okay and then I fly to Dallas and I get oh. off the plane and I'm having breakfast you know because I wake up at sort of insane hours often because I'm jet lag like, wake up at five you know what sit around and get to the get to the hotel you know yeah. um restaurant or whatever at 6 a.m and there's you know, it's just, there's a couple of pilots and they're just talking about how bad Hillary Clinton is and Fox news is on every wall and the conversations yeah. I'm sitting there cause I've got three hours to kill. I'm like, this is another country. This is like I'm in Europe and I've flown from Iceland to Albania. Like yeah. this is such a different culture. So I think that overarching operating system has actually been undone by freedom because if you want to define mm. America how you, you're you going to define that through this individualist freedom lens. And that's what's happening. Mm. So I think it's now a battling over the operating system. Is it going to be sort of Trumpian nationalism? Is it going to be sort of like cancel culture, if you think about it? Is yeah. the freelance network application of the operating system? It's not coming top down. It's now going sideways or actually coming up from the ground. Man, wow!
2: So, so why? So, help me understand this part then, with what you're saying. How does the so if if, if America kind of has a, a uniquely religious root and fuel for. Um, kind of our cultural conversations in ways that's going to birth something different than Western Europe and the kind of apathetic approach to to religion. Why in the world does what you're describing with the kind of the buttressing of the, the operating system, that is the Judeo-Christian civil religion, like why has... Like, why does, has that broken down so much more in the U.S. than a Western Europe where there's an apathy toward the church? Like, it's almost like n- not even thought of. Like, how in the world has that broken down more here and contributed to this this polarization?
1: I think that, and it's interesting, the article you mentioned, like Charles Finney. Like, I I think I previously thought this begins with Charles Finney. I don't think that anymore. I would see mm. Charles Finney as responding to something that was already happening and actually someone trying to minister in a new culture that was breaking out, unlike Europe on the American West. So, if you think about, you know, and again, so I realize I could be going into American nationalist heresy here? Um, that <laughs> <That's right>. that <laughs> what, what, what's unique. So again, Australia um, and America um, begin at a very similar time. You begin as a utopia; we begin as a dystopia. I mm-hmm. we have little expert. You know, Australia is. There's a famous saying by who's Donald Mill, who said, "You know, Australia is a lucky country." And we take that as all we're lucky. Like We're just like, we fluked out. We managed to get this great thing here. We started as a penal colony. There's a whole bunch of horrible stuff that happened and a bunch of Mm. people came here. And gee, it's actually pretty good. That's all right. (laughs) Like, But I don't have this thing like, Australia has this role in the world. We're this, you know, like Mm. there's not this idea because there's not an idea. We're not battling for an idea. I define myself as an Australian by my culture as in how we relate, things like mateship, humour, Eucalyptus trees, the topography. That's how we define. That's how I can meet someone who is far more left or right wing than me from a totally different culture, and we'll go, we'll start operating on this mateship level. So we've got this cultural code. Um, mm. The US is an idea, and if you think about it, it's begun. P- p- pilgrims leaving, particularly the UK, but also Europe. So you've got two things happening. One, you've got a movement that was already happening in England which is which was very driven by Protestants who were looking for religious freedom and freedom from the institutions that they saw holding them back. People forget like 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 Spurgeon had to start his church to the south of the Thames river in London because he was not an established churchman. Now that's mm. well into the 19th wow. century. So those things stuck around for a long time. Like to be Catholic in in the United Kingdom was was hugely problematic even into you know, like the 20th century um, in many social circles. So America begins as this, this, I'll summarise it as this, a political and a theological project, and they're intertwined more than people realise, to leave behind the problems of Europe and start anew, and that you had this expanse of a continent which you could go and explore freedom. So it's an idea. So there's a natural Mm. religious beginning to that idea. Whether you are a Puritan on the Mayflower, whether you're a Lutheran escaping religious persecution in Germany and coming to the East Coast of the United States, or whether you are someone who's listening to Whiggish or French Revolution political theory, uh, Thomas Jefferson, whoever, all of you mm-hmm. are turbocharged by this religious impulse to build a kind of utopia on it. And I, I think that what's happened as well is that um, it's it's the way, so it's always just go west, young man. So mm-hmm. there was this religious thing to land. So it was literally spoken about as the new promised land. So yeah. it's a repositioning of a project. Um, and you look at, say, Los Angeles. What is it? The city of dreams. San Francisco is a techno-utopia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Cascadia, Seattle and Portland is, you know, you go to Portland, I'm like, I, I'm trying to work what this, you know, I've walked around Portland a lot, you know, and you got a soccer stadium downtown, people like soccer, they don't like football. I mean, I like soccer, so that's good. But it's like, hang on, you're trying to do Europe here, but it's like Europe, but it's not. This is the anti America. Mm-hmm. Yeah like in some you sense the, go for it. Oh, I was
0: just gonna say the 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 state of California, the motto of, of California is Eureka. I found yes. it. Just just like I got here and I have now arrived because I'm I am here on the West Coast. Just being here is like the answer to our longings.
2: Yes. Well that makes a lot of sense. It's it's it has we it has struck us how much the illiberalism that you're talking about seems and feels fueled by this kind of overrealized eschatology, this this yeah. desire to rush the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God into the present in ways that are that end up being very culturally defined instead of biblically defined, and on yes. the left and the right.
0: Yes, yeah. yeah. And well, and so now, I, I mean, you've, you've touched on this mm. a little bit, Mark, but I've heard you say that America is a deeply religious nation, which as two Pastors, uh, church planters, kind of trying to especially pastor churches through a global pandemic where you can't meet in person and it feels like people are kind of slipping through your hands. It's, 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 um, it's an interesting observation because a lot of Christians are caught up in this fear that America is wandering away from its Christian roots. Um, so help us understand what are you seeing when you're saying America is a deeply Christian nation? Is it kind of this, uh, the rise of kind of wokeism as a, as a almost quasi-religious movement that's informing that or um, the, the kind of the messianic way that we look at political figures? Is that what you're getting at?
1: Like all of the above um yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I guess my comment it's there is a religious energy in the u.s whatever happens we we don't have big rnc or dnc conventions in australia if you went to a big thing and you were just an ordinary person you wanted to go to a stadium where our liberal party or our, our labor party would do it no one would turn up like those events look to me deeper religious the most Energy mm-hmm. you'll see from Australians is at a sporting event—that is our religion—and you know you, you don't take it too seriously. So it's like cool. So like it's like a cooler feeling where america it's like a hotter feeling. And so I see that across mm-hmm. the board. I see that in house. I mean, Silicon Valley—you know—is literally filled with people who are transhumanists who are trying to use technology to get beyond the limitations and rebirth themselves um, as as you know post-human. You know, it's like it's like a Christianized. And you got someone like Peter Thiel, you know. I think whose parents were German missionaries, and in a sense, now he's you know talking about transhumanism and all this sort of stuff in Silicon Valley. He's continued the Christian story. Um, if you look at, I guess, some of the stuff that's happening on the left, Jody Bottom wrote, a really, Bottom wrote a really interesting book called "The Age of Anxiety," where he said so much of the left stuff in the culture really begins in the liberal mainline church, and you know the stuff that you you see now at protests. Go, go to a, a very liberal um, Episcopalian church 10 years ago. They were talking all about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, I saw amazing footage the other day. I was looking at a Trump rally and I just was looking at I guess probably from my sort of, you know, cultural reading, and it was so fascinating. Lots of baby boomers were the, the key demographic. Key demographic, white baby boomers, obviously more working class. And they were playing the, the soundtrack. It's, you know, Trump's on stage. But it was like where they were waiting for him to come. Trump's on stage. Uh, about to come on stage, the music. So they're playing music and it's all these like boomer rock classics, you know, like, Mm. and, but what amazed me is there were people putting their hands up like this. Wow. Oh my goodness. Take the content out. This looks like a mega church. And then Trump comes and he speaks for 45 minutes. Like this is a secularized post-Christian boomer. Wow. So there's a cultural form that I reckon a lot of those people 20 years ago were perhaps in a mega church or have spent some time in a mega church or whatever. Yeah, so it's now, the Christian content's taken out, but there's Christian shapes. So I guess what I'm saying is, there is Christianized shapes to the culture. Chesterton said, the problem with the world is the virtues run wild. So in a Mm. sense, there's good things, justice, um, worship, um, a sense of being passionate about life and engaging in life in the fullest, the search for flourishing, the search for um, immortality. You know, all these things are Christian elements but then they're taken into this new form. So one way you could look at it is, and this is an extreme example, but I'll, I'll go for it. You know, one way to look at Islam is Islam is a building upon of some of the Christian heresies that occurred in the sort of third and fourth century. And um, when it was first encountered by the early church, they were like, oh, this is another one of those you know, uh, heretical sects.
0: Christological and in heresy. Some,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a Christological heresy who sees itself as building on Judaism and Christianity, but it's the third chapter. Right. And in some ways, this is a much more unconscious version of that in the United States. But this is a very different secularism than what I'm seeing in Europe and Australia, New Zealand, and even Canada in some ways. Hmm.
0: As you're talking, I'm, I'm remembering a, um, a, a Eugene Peterson quote that I have heard and, and actually repeated, but I don't think I've really understood exactly what he was saying. Um, he, he said in the, uh, in the pastor, um, he said there are three ways that humanity tries to find transcendence apart from God. Um, The first is through the ecstasy of alcohol, drugs, um, through the ecstasy of recreational sex, and then the third is through the ecstasy of crowds and Mm. he says church leaders frequently warn against drugs and sex but at least in america never against crowds Mm. Uh, fascinating fascinating i i mean the idea that you have uh that you don't have political rallies that thousands of people would show up to in australia is sort of mind blowing yeah Mm. i remember even just the sense i i uh went to grad school in scotland and lived there Mm. for three years and the sense that MPs in in the UK like have an office in their precincts, and you can kind of go in and make an appointment and sit down with yep. them. It's such a foreign concept uh, yeah. to an American. I mean, congressmen in the US are like, oh, "Well, I would never actually talk to my congressman." Yes,
1: yeah, I've I've been to the local MP, you know, often and have a chat, um, just see him down. The, you know, I don't know, wow,
0: wow. Uh,
2: I, something you were saying, Mark, was. Um, I'm I'm really stuck on the point you were saying about how the US is very much oriented around an idea and as a contrast Australia is oriented around a culture and you know the idea of America being a you know melting pot is not a great analogy anymore because we prefer it to be a salad with a bunch of other things that don't get diluted into everything else right um but I wonder how much – I'd be curious what your thoughts are in terms of how that relates to identity Mm. because it feels like so much of the polarization that we're experiencing right now is this hell-bent, desperate pursuit of dignity, value, and worth, however we can find it. And I just wonder how much the – um, maybe the the transiency of ideas has mm. related to or contributed to a, a transiency of identity and dignity, yes. value and worth. Is is that related at all? Are you seeing that too, or is, or am I making some connections that aren't there?
1: No, I think you're right. I mean, it's interesting if you think about this. Right, that desire for a, a, a to just be able to go west. At some point, you hit the Pacific Ocean. And in San Francisco, it goes west, hits the Pacific Ocean, and then goes into this new thing. So you have the counterculture Mm. in the 60s, which was an attempt to then go into a new psychic inner limitlessness. That then hits the 70s, where it turns into, you know, like a nightmare. But then it goes Mm. into tech. So in a sense, the, the Western frontier is now in tech and social media. And what social media does as a network is it undermines identity. Whilst creating identity, so identity often throughout most of history was, um, you know, you look look at India. India, there was caste identity, there was religious identity, there was state or regional identity. Um, so you were defined by where you lived, what religion you were, where you were in this in this caste chain. Now you didn't make any decisions on that. Now there were some people who might stop being a Sikh and convert to Islam. But that was really rare and that had huge consequences. You couldn't even marry someone. You know, it's very rare to marry someone outside if you're those, those things. So there's this very multicultural, is extremely multicultural, multi-religious, yet identity is very locked in the ground. Um, so that's a, a country with multicultural identities but locked in the ground. What the internet does is online I can be anyone and I can present an identity and I can generate identities. So I think what you've got in America, you've got two things happening. You've got identities um that people are bringing so for example historically um you know racism is an identity um that has huge consequences for african-american people um so in a sense they're they're not choosing you know you you, you can't in a sense deconstruct that online but at the same time online there's this other force where well i can move around i can and i always find it fascinating how americans will introduce themselves to me they'll go hi i'm fred Uh, i grew up in atlanta but then i went to college in." South Carolina and now I'm currently working in New York in advertising they always tell me this journey well I just go I'm, I live in, I'm Mark I live in Melbourne hmm. that, that's it so there's this almost journey that you go huh. on to define who you are this college defines hmm. me but now that's just expanded so online I have the freedom and even you look at all the gender identity stuff that, that's happening and now even with the zoomers political fluidity so there's gender fluidity political fluidity so you got these two movements going on one is like you can you can genders fluid. You can move, you know, move around. You can define yourself. Consumerism says we can create who we are. Um, but then on the other side of America, you've got Democrats, Republicans, these cast on left, right, black, white. So there's actually this clashing between these two things. And there's no operating system to run this. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the stress in America.
0: Wow. So, um... I think in this cultural moment, you, you kind of going back to this idea of of the pursuit of freedom, especially in America. Um, you, you kind of hinted at the idea that it's going to get to this point of crisis that it's not sustainable in the long run. And now, obviously, we are in this period of global crisis that nobody could have predicted specifically. Um, f- so, the first thing I'm wondering about is uh, is this sort of what you were anticipating, or or is this something different but then the other layer of that is what you're talking about how um there there's this sense that identity is more fluid than it used to be because of our networked connectedness and is that um is is the network i guess what i'm wondering is is that the cause or the effect is uh, is it contributing to the crisis, the fact that we can be connected uh, with anyone globally, and therefore it gives us the increased ability to sort of self-select into whatever persona we want to create for ourselves? Is that the effect of... Um, the kind of polarized crisis moment that we're living through, or is it more we hit the crisis and therefore the network allows us to move into a different identity as we as we choose?
1: Yeah. So I would say my argument, how I'm thinking about it at the moment is that there's a network dynamic is behind so much of our crises. Um, and two components to that. One is a digital network and the second is a globalized network. Um, mm. So if you if you look at... Um, the Reformation happens because of a technological jump. Now, there was already stuff happening before and there's different theological movements that were occurring, but what then accelerates it is the printing press. And mm. in a sense, that's a proto-incident. You already had this network of university towns across Europe and then mm. it's like the hard wire of the network was there and then the the Reformation, the Bible in German, those writings of the Reformers then go into people's hands And it becomes like, that's like their software moving through the hardware of the internet. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. changes Europe. I mean, Europe is upended. Um, We have hundreds of years of war and cultures begin to, you you did not understand yourself as a German. Even the concept of a German didn't exist really before, you know, it begins when, you know, Luther puts the Bible in German because people did read the language. Languages. So Europe goes from the Holy Roman Empire, which is this meta one culture thing. Yes, there were differences, but all of a sudden nationalism starts to rise because, mm-hmm. well, I'm Slovak and you're and you're German. Well, who are the Jews there? They're not. They don't fit into this, you know. So you have mm. this connection wow. to identity. Then becomes really fluid for a while. So before, if you looked at a lot of the cities in in in, in Europe, and this went until the beginning of the twentieth century, the cities were actually often more cosmopolitan. You know, people who moved around: German, French, Jews, Greeks. Um, but in the countryside, it's the Lithuanians or the Slovenians. Um, okay, so you have this incredible sort of period of upheaval, um, which then starts to sort of slow down, and there's a reconsolidation of power, really in that okay. sort of 18th century, particularly in the 19th century, where all of a sudden the Industrial Revolution happens, large corporations grow, larger nation states like Britain, you know, France, uh, the United Kingdom, Uh, I just said Britain. Put Britain in there twice. Um, These larger (laughs) nations, but it's a consolidation of power, and that really goes into the 1960s, and that's built around central institutions, their corporations, governments, and that becomes the age of empire. Age of empire is this massive consolidation of these these big entities. But then in the 60s, and you have people like Marshall McLuhan talking about how that's starting to unravel as technology is happening again. So it's a second Gutenberg moment. Um, but also the technology. If you think about, um, it's really interesting. Like uh, John Stott's biography, um, in the second part of John Stott's life, he began to get evangelicals around the world through things like the Lausanne Covenant to agree on on some basic you know, statements and and like work together. That was facilitated. That would have not happened if it not, yeah. was for the rise of jet air, air travel. Hmm. Um, trying to do that in 1923 would have been a heck of a lot harder. But they, people could fly to Lausanne from all over the world and evangelicals come together. So there's this second element then, that as people move around, the world is brought closer, um, but also further apart at the same time. Mm. So so my sense was, the belief was, particularly after the fall of the Berlin Wall, captured in Francis Fukuyama's classic um, essay, The End of History, was the argument there was, America, essentially, essentially America and the West, has created the greatest political system ever, we've created the most um, peaceful system ever, It's content-free, content of all those deeper searches for meaning because they actually caused the problems, which is Mm -hmm. one of the thoughts of the Enlightenment, which was reacting to the upheaval that that the Reformation Mm -hmm. started. Um, So we're just going to drift towards that. And Russia, it's going to become like the West. Thailand will become like the West. Um, Iran, eventually, it will fall. It will become like us. And the longer that went on, there's all these shocks. September 11th, it's not going to be like us. (laughs) Um, You know, the GFC, this great system, hang on, at the heart of it is still human fallenness. Um, and so it's been this shock, shock, shock. Now, so much of secularism and post-Christianity was was founded on the bet that people would not need God because we're just going to slowly ease towards this perfect future without him. Where I can have my Uber thing, I'm working in the gig economy, life's great, I can define myself how I want. Now, mm. secularism and post-Christianity and defining my identity in this way, that's all dependent on me having the internet. That's dependent that I know that my power is going to stay on that night. That's dependent that I could feed my kids. That's dependent I can get on a job. Once you Mm. turn those those factors and they go different, Mm. um, that changes the dynamic. And I think the thing I saw was like you see the stats. Like the fact is in the next few years, China will double the GDP of the US. Wow. Wow. The the latest assessment, sorry, final (laughs) the latest assessment of the US military, you know, is that there's a high chance the US will now lose in a naval engagement with China. Um so all of this predicated on America conversation here. Like what no one noticed about the discussion around Russian influence in, in the 2016 election and how much it was, how whatever it was. But the fact that now other nations are disrupting the US is a, means that globalization is going to disrupt the US in ways. So I saw this conversation in the mm. 2010s where it's like, oh, America's heading, we're going to become Europe. We're just going to slide towards utopia. America mm. will become Portland. And I remember thinking, no, 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 you now have a rising China, India, uh, mm-hmm. You know, you've got all these other countries which are going to disrupt. There's a huge shock coming. Um, and final comment, um, the Enlightenment was based on the triumph over nature. Humans could live this godless life because we conquered nature. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther freaks out in a storm in a forest because in his time, they're they at the whim and, and will of nature. Coronavirus and global mm-hmm. warning is the return of nature. So it's subverting mm-hmm. our message around ourselves. Mm-hmm there's a lot of wildfires <laughs> contribute to that too.
2: Yeah. One of the really like, so just in, in listening to you lay all this out and these connections, it hits me that there are, some really consistent patterns, right? When you have the introduction of a new technology, a new, um, a, a significant increase in connectivity that ends up fracturing initially, that, which is followed by a, a period of, of significant disruption. But then things settle down because there is almost a transcendent uh, identity or operating system that, yeah. that re-solidifies, uh, condenses... And then kind of reconsolidates to the point of being able to kind of have a, it's not the same before, right? The, the Holy Roman Empire went away after the Reformation and it became nation states. So there, there were there were an increase in pluralities that were able to then grow out of that. But the difference with what's happening now is when the the fracturing that's happening is the US and it's based on an idea and not uh, one of those things, It. It's like well where where does where's the endpoint it mm-hmm. almost is going to it would almost have to and require an outside External hmm. infusion of, of of a catalyst or a stability in order to for that reconsolidation to happen. And how long can you go before there's a a point of no return? Is that kind of like what you're talking about? Because yeah. it, whether that maybe that's an an external threat like a rising China, um, but it would have to be something that caused the fracturing to slow down and then reverse its course, right?
1: Yes. So. I, I see a couple of possible futures. Um, like one is, I think there's a lot of similarity. I think I think what I've noticed too is I think when you've got the religious identity and the idea, you then hit it, you still then interpret the decline in religious language. So I, I found this very early. I'd speak in America and I'd speak about these themes, hmm. and people would come to me and they're like, Oh, so this is going to be Red Dawn, or so it's basically The Walking Dead, or it's Godzilla, you know, it's like, okay, there are other possibilities <laughs> apart from utter apocalyptic destruction, sure. you know, but it's almost, that's almost that apocalyptic, you know, millenarian end of times. Like, so America's end will be like mm. Reve- the book of Revelations. Um, mm.
2: Nobody's even that, that comparison, by the way. That's just <laughs> that's really out of the blue. I've never heard that before. So, <laughs>
1: yeah. so it's like, and because if you look at the world, like, but even the Roman Empire, when did it end? You know, they talk about the sacking of Rome by Alaric or whatever, but it's still going much, much later. I mean, even Mussolini right. thinks he's continuing it. Um, and even, interestingly, the founding fathers, you look at Washington, there's all these Roman-style buildings. They thought they were continuing part of that republican Republic, we use that word. Um mm. You know, I I think there's two possibilities. One is if you look at South America at the beginning of the 20th century, they came from this period of independence and they had a whole bunch of leadership where they'd broken away from Spain and had really what they were liberal elites running countries. And they even had this thing called South American positivism, which was this sort of scientific, technocratic way of running cultures that was actually opposed to the church in many ways. Hmm. Um, and that began to fall apart as there was this this thing, as mass migration happened, places like Buenos Aires and Sao Paulo became really multicultural. And then it went into this era of populism. And I think yeah. lots of people in America have not looked at South America um, and actually gone, hang on, a lot of this has happened before. Um, people started making the connections here, two days ago when Trump went on the balcony to the movie Evita, you know, or the, the musical Evita. Mm, um, yeah. But there's a lot of similarities in, in the US to... Um you know Argentina at the beginning of the 20th century was seen as ahead of the US in many ways Buenos Aires was seen as a more mm. leading city than um New York and Argentina had more money than the US and Australia and a lot of these countries but because it was benefiting from a global um economic uh, configuration at that time that changed mm. and then um America also came onto the market and beat it in a trade war really and um uh, you know, I think something similar is happening to the US at the moment, that a lot of this mm. is actually that America's primacy in the world, it, whereas a unipolar power, I thought it would be, is now being challenged. And there's now countries competing with trade. And, and, and it's really interesting coming to the US now. I started coming to the US in the 1990s. I first came on a mission trip to a gang-affected area when I was just out of high school, and It feels so many areas, it's like it's paused. The buildings still look like they're from the 1990s. The cities look like they're paused. Go to Tokyo, look at Seoul, look at Dubai. It looks like the flaming future. Like I don't know if that word translates. I think it means something different in America. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So so if you want a modern futuristic city, you don't look at America anymore. If you want a safe city, you don't look at America anymore. So there's this element where I actually wonder, option one is America's becoming more like the rest of the continent that it's on, that America Mm -hmm. is looking politically more like Brazil than it does like Norway or New Zealand at this point in time in the West. And so America Mm -hmm. is becoming less Western. Second idea, which could also happen with the first idea, Bruno Massais, who probably has been one of my favourite interpreters of this moment, Portuguese writer, former European politician. His argument is that America has hit the limits of liberalism and its quest for freedom and now has moved into something completely new, which he calls virtualism. So it's now the battle between freedom and the reality. Hmm. So oh, man. so the new West, the new Western frontier is the edge of reality. And his big comment when the pandemic hit America was, okay, this is going to be a, a reality symbolized by the pandemic versus unreality. And he said that I read that in I think he said that in March, and I've just watched that play out. Um, so if you look at America, it's mm-hmm. Disneyland, it's 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 Universal Studios, it's Hollywood, it's 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 online pornography, it's it's you know which Jacques Bazon called online pornography, pornography a utopian form of literature, um, and there's this element where all of this stuff is pushing people into an unreality. And there's these moments like you watch, whether it's the protests or something happened, there'll be someone mm. sh- like there was that guy shot in Kenosha and I saw the videos and they're pretty horrible, but literally what's insane is this guy's running around with guns and a guy shot and everyone's running up like this. So they've got hmm. their phones and they're interpreting the moment uh, and they're almost uploading it into the internet. So the internet becomes the world of unreality that Americans can now pursue freedom in that they couldn't in reality. And just, I mean, finally, just look at Trump. Like literally the guy has got corona and he's like, I'm fine. He's rocking it right. with makeup on
0: yeah. and
1: going, oh, no. I'd, and he said today, I just saw it this morning and I got to be something like, oh, I don't, I'm not contagious. I, I don't think I'm contagious. Right. So if you look at Trump, it's, it's almost like this is the prosperity gospel completely emptied of its Christian content writ large across the nation. This is positive thinking. This is, you know, his favorite Christian was Norman Vincent Peale, um, the power of positive thinking. But he's now just doing this to whole America. No, I don't accept this. I'm going to see the positive. I've got corona, but actually I think I'm immune. Mark, you just
0: summarized in like 90 seconds the 45-minute episode we we recorded on Monday (laughs) about that very topic. So
2: Um, that's validating like nothing else. So, um, man, so let me – can, can I add one hard. thing there? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah right go, go ahead. Ahead.
1: Sorry. I'm, I'm jumping yeah. in. And I think this go is point. where Britta massais would say, America's not heading towards socialism. America's not even heading towards fascism. They're heading towards people role-playing fascism and, mm. and that. So you've got a bunch of guys rocking up in, like, in the Proud Boys. Like, I'm not saying they're not dangerous. Like, literally today there was the Michigan thing I saw this morning that there were people going to, yeah. it's insane. But, and there's a point where live-action role-playing becomes real. But in a sense, it's almost like a theatrical, performative element to this. In 1990s in Germany, there were street battles between Antifa and far right skinheads. Um, so just as in a sense, Portland was trying to do like European soccer and be like a more European city, this is a political version. Let's do European street politics from from then. So he would argue that all, the the the. This is why there's a he would say the new thing in America is a left and right virtualism, and that can be super performative left left wing um, sort of actions or super right wing you know, Trumpian rally. Man, wow! That, with what
2: you're saying around. This virtualism. I mean, you're describing something that feels extremely accurate. That that shoe fits. Yeah. Um, and there's a like we we've been using the language of of performative uh, actions or performative politics, right? Like it's it's less about what's actually being done, and it's so much more about the uh, the the the
0: symbol yeah, or the, the symbolism, the, symbol. the flag waving of it.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely, the flag waving. Um, and it's it almost feels like have you ever have you read the book uh, Ready Player
1: One? No, I thought it has, but I, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, I've not read this myself, but the 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 concept of it has been back in the back of my mind and, and kind of coming in and out of focus multiple times in the last several months. And the concept of it is that, you know, we live in an age where everybody lives only virtually and you're in this kind of like, you know, large closet sized home, but you're always constantly connected into a virtual reality and how this degrades and dehumanizes. And it's this very dystopian thing. And with what you were just describing about this, uh, this kind of performative, uh, individual, ex- ex- like expressive individualism, being the means by which our identity is found in and through the the LARPing and the live action role playing, like our, it kind of almost feels like we're actually in the dystopia we're trying to avoid, uh, because none of this is as actually meaningful. Uh, and we're actually just kind of expressing we're we're continuing to double down on that freedom bucket that you were talking about. Is, is that what you're describing?
1: Yes. Yeah. So it's a new way. If, if if you've reached the edge of the bucket, you're now like building a new virtual rim <laughs> to try and get more water.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We could talk with Mark all day about diagnosis, about what's going on, but what we really want to get to is prescription. What do we do when so much has changed about the world that we're living in? One of the things that Mark has said frequently in his writing and teaching is that crisis precedes renewal. And so in part two of our conversation, we're going to change gears and talk about what God might be doing in this time. How might he actually use our present disruption Renew the church for his purposes. So don't miss that. You can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you like Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts to be notified when the next episode comes out later this week. Also, please join us at kingandkingdom.community to join in the conversation with Brad and myself. And get additional resources there Thanks so much for joining us today I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards Our theme music was recorded by Kevin McLeod And used under a Creative Commons license From filmmusic.io And our logo was designed by Danny Rankin We'll be back later this week With the second half of our conversation With Mark Sayers Helping you navigate life In a post-Christian and post-pandemic world On Everything Just Changed